Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. So we're talking about squad goals today and loyalty specifically. We aren't talking about a, a loyalty to just, oh, people need to be loyal to you. But we need to examine ourselves first. Can we be a member of our own squad where we can be loyal? So our loyalty should ultimately be pledged to God first. Everyone say God first. Out of a healthy, growing relationship, think about a ship. It's on a voyage. It is a journey. We are in a series called Relation Slips. And so not having a relation slip with the Lord, but having a relationship with the Lord, being on a journey out of a healthy, growing relationship with God, with him, will flow the wisdom and insight to choose the right squad for you. Have you ever considered everybody don't deserve you? And I don't say that in an ugly way, but everybody doesn't deserve to be exposed to the gift of God that is in you. And so we have to be selective, not to be exclusive, but who's going to lift you up? Who's going to pray for you? Where is that friend that will, when I, a guy I went to college with, his name was Ennis Tate. His name is Ennis Tate. He is in Indiana. He's a pastor in Indiana. And I put the picture of Ray and his brothers up on, on, on Facebook and then the brothers made me take it down because they said they didn't look their best. It's something about a Liberian man. He just must be fine to himself all the time. Now that was a good looking picture, but they did not have their absolute best. And then they said, well, we can't look all happy because we're believing for the Omar. So they made me took it down, take it down. And so I took it, I took it down anyway. But where was I talking? I was, I got lost. Oh, Ennis Tate. So Ennis is in Indiana. He was the president of the Student Government Association, and I was the secretary, and we shut Alabama State down in 1993 because of some students. So anyway, he's just like a little radical somebody. He is like a Kirk Franklin and a uh, just a little man, but loves God. And he's just on fire, like Kurt Franklin and Jiminy Cricket all put together, just on fire. So I put it up on Facebook for a little bit, and he said, are you that close to me? And I said, oh, no, no, no. So I sent him a direct message. I said, no, my husband is there. He said, we're headed to Columbus. We graduated from Alabama State in 1993. This is 2019. We only see each other on Facebook. And, he's, and I said, well, don't, don't go just yet. He's leaving tomorrow. He was going to go from Indiana to the hospital. That is a squad goal. He didn't say, oh, talk to my wife. We'll pray for you. He said, I'm on my way to Columbus. And I'm like, oh, no. So when I say every, have you considered everybody doesn't deserve it? You want people like that in your life. Now, for those of you who didn't say I'm going to Columbus, that don't make you wrong. But we're talking about squad goals and loyalty specifically. Loyalty is a strong feeling of support or allegiance. And then I'm breaking this down some. I know that the the youth are with us. And so I really want them to begin to think about the people that they are as well as the people that they expose themselves to. I think that our world and our culture can, uh, loyalty can be fickle and it's just used flippantly like the word love. But we want to draw it back and look at God's word. Loyalty, some of the synonyms are faithfulness, devotion, dependability, reliability, 
having a sense of duty, not indebtedness. There is a big difference to have duty and allegiance as opposed to feeling indebted. The Bible says, oh, no man any debt but the debt of love. So again, going back to our loyalty should be in God first and out of the overflow of who God is in us and who we are in him, it'll help navigate our relationships, trustworthiness, dedication, commitment, and adherence. And so some of the points we're going to have, I'm just, I tagged them in honest ask. And so I'm asking you to ask yourself these questions and honest ask, ask. What am I loyal to? Am I loyal to my job? Am I loyal to my spouse? Am I loyal to myself alone? Am I only loyal when things are going my way? Who am I loyal to? If God is not aligned first, everything will be out of whack. And then you can be loyal over here for a little bit, and then that doesn't work out, and you're loyal over here for a little bit, and that doesn't work out. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. But out of who we are in Christ and who God is in us, he will help shape this. And how do I show loyalty? Loyalty is not just about giving people gifts. It's not just about having accolades. Loyalty can actually pull somebody to the side and say, hey, you got a little something in your nose. As opposed to, well, it's not my problem, so I'm not going to do it. Loyalty can be, are you okay? Are you having a good day today? Loyalty can be, mm, when you said that, I felt a little something, and I want to talk about it so we can work it all the way out. I had somebody stop me on Wednesday, and they said, hey, I just want to make sure we're good. I felt a little something the last time we were together. Are we good? That's a loyal person. And I was like, oh, no, because I would not have let, I would have called you at 1130 at night and not let the sun come up because I'm not going to have anything between you and I. And I was so grateful that someone stopped me. Number one, it allows them to see my face so they can hear my heart and I can reassure them. Number two, it makes me aware of who I am. And that's not a person that's just going to go someplace and be offended and be mad. They're like, we need to work it out. That is loyalty. So loyalty does not come in this little sweet, cute little package where everything is all nice and pretty. Loyalty can show up real ugly sometime, but it will be ugly to preserve what you're called to. And I said, thank you for stopping me. But please be assured, if there is ever any situation, I will call you or I will pull you to the side and do the same. Loyalty means I'm not going to let a bridge be between us. I will stop you. And humbly ask, do we need to work something out? That's what loyalty looks like sometimes. We need to be before we expect. We need to be before we expect. Loyalty isn't placing an expectation on you're supposed to do this to me because of who I am. Loyalty means that our relationship, our interaction must be reciprocal. Here's something I discovered about myself mm, probably about maybe a month ago. When did we go out with Elder Sigler and Lady Coretta? About a month ago. And so we were out to dinner and Lady Coretta, thank you, was talking about something. And she was saying, you know, in, in our marriage, you know, I was saying, sweetie, you know, 
he's not very affectionate. He doesn't hold my hand. And I was thinking, oh, he's not even from Liberia. I'm not dogging Liberian men now, but they aren't huggy-feely type people. And I'm kind of like cut from the lap dog kind of cloth. So I'm like, you know, huggy-feely, want to be in the same shirt with you, want to just sit on your lap, even though all of this don't need to be on nobody's lap right now. But I'm just kind of like that. And so she was saying, just we were having regular conversation, lunch across the street. She was saying, you know, I was expecting something from him that I wasn't doing myself. And, you know, in the old church, it was like, get off my toes. I just felt like somebody had kicked me in my stomach. And it was a turning point and a learning lesson for me. So even though I'm like, I think I'm this, this little fuzzy, cute little lap dog, and I just want to be all over you, I've never initiated that. But then I've always placed on Ray, well, he's not that affectionate. He's from Africa or whatever. But I wasn't being before I was expecting. I was not being. So I apologized to him. And I told her, hey, with all that wisdom, I want you to come and speak to the women. And she was supposed to be here last Wednesday. Elder, last Wednesday. Elder Sigler lost his father, so they were traveling. So we'll get her in on the 20th to come and speak to the women. Because that was an opportunity for me to sit at somebody else's feet. I learned a lesson in loyalty in my own life way before I even knew I was going to be doing this message. Is I was not being, but I was expecting, and then walking around with a, with a deficit and blaming him. He's grown a lot. It's not, but you know what I'm saying. Because he is a Liberian man, so. He might not be holding hands in the parking lot, but you know. Anyway. <laughs> Be before we expect. So a few years ago, five years ago, I began to really experience some relationship turmoil. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, why are people like this? And I started to resource myself because I was just really going through a whole lot. I was very awkward in, you know, my position as being a pastor's wife, okay, am I supposed to be really, really nice, but I'm really not that nice? And then when I get real serious and I don't want people to be mad at me, and what am I supposed to wear? And am I supposed to be in main service or do I church, serve in children's church? I mean, I was just very awkward about five years ago and in my relationships because we had a lot of people that went from just being our friends to now we're their pastors. And how do you navigate that? Because the conversations I used to have before as a friend, now I've got to hold other things in confidence. And how do we still be? friends and if they say how is so-and-so doing I can't tell them how so-and-so is doing it it was just awkward for me and I was just thinking oh let me let me I just need to resource myself so I got this book about safe people and I was like yes I'm gonna learn about how to stay away from these people who had these expectations of me and I'm not meeting and then they're mad at me and then I got my toes stepped on again Safe People is by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And right on the back, he's got a list of insights to help you. Have you ever given your best and gotten the worst in return? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. I've been getting it. These people won't come and serve back in children's church with me. And come on now, what's going on? And number one says, correct things within you that jeopardize your relational security. And I was like, man, I already paid for the book. <laughs> I had ordered it from Amazon. Had I been in the Barnes and Nobles, I might have put it back down. Because, see, I really wasn't looking for help 
what I was looking for is somebody to be on my team and to play a little band to my the back of my violin and say, oh, poor Wendy, when, 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 they're so not nice to you. When God is, was calling me higher even then. Check yourself first, sis. That wasn't for anybody else. That was from the Lord to me. So I thought I'm just going to get Dr. Cloud's little book and I'm going to learn how to stay away from these folks that keep hurting my feelings. And he said, correct the things within you that jeopardize your relational security. And then he didn't stop there. Number two was be a safe person yourself. I'm like, oh, I'm not all as good and nice as I thought I was personal accountability. So when we're thinking about loyalty, again, going back to my marriage situation, I am expecting something that I'm not being. So when it comes to my squad and my friends, I have to be before I expect. And you know, through this process, I learned a very, not very pretty thing about myself. I noticed I've got long-lasting relationships, 20 years, 18 years. Girls, I go way back that were there at the wedding, there in the room when I had the kids. I mean, long relationships. And you know what I notice about those relationships? They are all out of state. What I discovered in a sense of loyalty is, for whatever reason, there is something very comfortable with me about distance and not up close loyalty. Now I learned this five years ago and I'm just now starting to walk it out. It's very easy for me to show up and be doing something, but not really letting anybody in because I feel a hot mess. I feel like, oh, I talk too much or, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing or, or and just always having anxiety. So my, my lasting relationship, that 18-year relationship, that 20-year relationship, they all live out of state. Got a 24, Christy, 24 years we've been friends. Also in the relationships, I'm like, the little chaplain, the big sister, not reciprocal, not having somebody pour into me. I wasn't conscious of this, but I am just now at 48 learning to be before I expect. So the same thing that we have with you, hey, get with people. I'm evaluating my squad, and I've got good squad right here. I've got good squad right here but I'm praying about somebody to be up here, somebody to pour into me that's been doing this longer than I have. I have somebody, Lady Bestman, we sat down, um, one of the pastor's wives, she's Liberian too, and we've been in a relationship for about 18 years, but I had to really have an honest conversation. I was like, you know, I really don't have anybody to pull me to the side and say, nope, you can't even really act like that. They will, but it's based off of this right here. But somebody that's been in this they've been married they've been in ministry to say this is how you love your people no you can't say that you should do this this is a safe space for me to say oh I really messed it up or I don't know how to handle this situation and I'm feeling awkward sometimes in situations because I'm expecting but I haven't been I'm expecting because in the past I've been submitted in a but where am I submitted now so loyalty 
I want to be so loyal to the call of God, not being a pastor's wife, but being his daughter. I want to be so loyal to the call of God that I can be submitted to authority and not just a distant authority. We're submitted. We've got our mentors. They're in Maryland. I need somebody right here that'll walk right here and say, no, 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 no. Come on over here this way. All right. Here go that Henry Cloud and John Townsend again. It's a quote from Safe People. It says, so we choose people based on outward appearance and then experience the inside of them. We look at worldly success, charm, looks, humor, status, and education, talents, and giftedness, or religious activity. But when we experience the pain of being in a real relationship with them, and we come up very empty-handed. And it's not that the person was bad. It was that there was an expectation there that was not navigated out of the health of who God is in our life. There was something that, and that was what I was experiencing, is that people would see, oh, you speak well, you're Pastor Ray's wife. And then when they see me on Monday when I don't have gel in my hair and I don't have my makeup on and I got my fake Uggs, that's just, you know, I got these little bear paws from the Ross that were a good sale. And so I got my little fake Uggs going on in my jeans and I'm going to homeschool and I might, you know, have something to say, not in a potty word, but just like, oh, my goodness. And then that person was not this person. And so... So people will judge. There were a whole lot of people that just because I was raised wife, and the only reason, I'm not highlighting myself because I'm anything, but you have not given me permission to talk about your business, so I just talk about my own. And so the, as I'm trying to navigate this, they, people wanted to be around me, and then they found out I was like real regular human. Like I still had my Christmas trees up in February. But they have an expectation that, hey, now I got them down. I did real good, you know, because Pastor Ray was coming home, so I hurried up. I was up to 2.30 the other morning. I mean, there's still a lot of glitter on the dining room table, but the tree is gone. The other tree by the fireplace, I just might put some Valentine's hearts on them and just, you know. (laughs) So when he came in, I was like, I was really trying, and I made the boxes to the garage, so it, it, it was a start. So, But sometimes people will think that, hey, you've really got it going on, and then they find out, oh, you don't have it going on. You're just regular like me, and then they don't want to be your friend no more. So we have to give each other a break. Loyalty. Loyalty. First Samuel 16, we see where Samuel, the prophet Samuel, prophet, hears a word from God and then speaks it out to the people. So what God is doing, God has rejected Saul as king over Israel, and he's about to raise up a new king. So God has commanded Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's house and anoint one of his sons. And that's where we pick up. Uh, It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil. Everyone say anointing. And be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived to Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They were like, "Uh uh-oh, what is he about to say? Because he hears from God. They were like, ooh, is he about to put our business in the street? So it says they met him and they said, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate means make sacred or to declare sacred. Make yourself sacred and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So Jesse has eight sons. The most famous son we know is David. 
Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, no, verse 6. It says, when they arrived, this is Jesse and the seven sons, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord has, the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height because Jesse's sons were tall and good looking. The Bible even states that they said that about David, said he had red hair and he was just fine. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so in loyalty, in building relationships, sometimes we'll see somebody and we're like, oh, they're so nice. They're so fun. It's like, have you ever watched American Idol and the contestants get on there and they all make it to a certain point and then they're like, oh, we love you. We're going to be friends forever. And in that moment, they're so emotional that they're forgetting that they're in a competition. And as it goes on, if I get voted off and you're still there, how much more am I going to love you? And so as we're going through life, we've got to look at this loyalty thing. Now, we're not saying reject people just on sight, but we're not, what I'm also not saying is that when we want to pledge our loyalty to somebody, when we're going to go through life with them, sometimes we need to see them in different situations. If you are single, the most dangerous thing you can do is date a man who doesn't have male friends and then go to a Bible study. Dangerous. That means if he doesn't have friends, if he's one of the people that say, oh, girl, I don't fool with nobody, run. Get your purse and run. That means he is not accountable to anyone. That is a dangerous man who does not have other men, even if it's on a peer level, to speak into his life. Because when things go bad, a lot of times in a love relationship, it can be very difficult for a man to receive from us because we can sound like nagging mamas and everything, and sometimes we are, we mean well, but it can be difficult for them to receive. But then if they have accountability through fellowship with other men, like I have accountability through fellowship with Elder Sigler and Lady Sigler, and just in a natural conversation, I saw an error in my way of thinking in my marriage. I've been married almost 18 years. But because they speak into our lives, we've been with them for years, I could receive it, and she wasn't even talking to me. She wasn't trying to teach me a lesson. But now I can hold myself accountable to a different standard because I'm around somebody else. I'm not just coming to church and then leaving and not being anybody's friends. I'm not rebuking you. I just kind of have a strong personality like that. So I'm not rebuking you, but this is a time God has called us to relationship. What is he saying in Genesis? It is not good for the man to be alone. He didn't mean just physically the male species. He did not create us to be alone. Why did he institute the church? When he left here, it was for fellowship. It was for us, not just for the saving of souls, but it was for our own relational health and growth. God doesn't even operate by himself. He is all sufficient by himself, but is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He has given the ultimate example of fellowship. Though he can still do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. As we've been praying, the, one of the things we've been praying for Omar is a Hezekiah miracle. Hezekiah didn't do what God had asked him to do. He fell sick. I believe it was cancer. The Bible says that it was a boil, and this was not in the notes. And so this boil is on him, and he's dying. And Hezekiah, it says he turns his face to the window, and he begins to plead his case before the Lord. He said, I've done what you've wanted me to do. 
He said, look at me, go back and look in the record books. Even though God had already told the prophet, tell him he's going to die. When Hezekiah pled his case before the Lord, do you know what God said? You are absolutely right. And he granted Hezekiah 15 more years. God has already set the example. God didn't need to be accountable to Hezekiah. The Bible says, come boldly before the throne of grace, where there you will obtain mercy. And he came boldly. He said, go back and look. I messed up this time, but I've been doing what you said, because these children of Israel, they are like we are today. They were just, God was like, you know what? It's enough. I already sent the flood. Y'all still acting a monkey. So Hezekiah, you don't want to do what I say. All right, this poor leadership, boom, you're out of here. But he pled his case before the Lord. God has given us an example. And this was as if a child was talking to a father. You know, I come up in that generation. I was born in 1970 where it's like your mama used to say, when I tell you to jump, you better be in midair before you ask how high. But that's not the heart of our God. He is our ultimate example. When Hezekiah pleaded his case, God went back and said, you know what, you're right. I don't even think God had to go back and look. I think God was like, you know what, Hezekiah, you coming boldly. And I'm just going to do what you ask me to do because I can do it. Back at loyalty. Our loyalty, our loyalty should ultimately, again, be pledged to God first. Out of a healthy, growing relationship with him will flow the wisdom and insight to choose the right squad for you. That was all the introduction. Now we're going to get to the nitty-gritty in the words of Nacho Libre. <laughs> All right, we're going to look at Ruth, the book of Ruth. It's the eighth book of the Old Testament. Church is a learning time, so if you brought your, your, your Bible, you can look at the, the table of contents or you can look at the screen. So it says, in the days when the judges ruled, everyone say judges, not God. What happened as the Israelite, the children of Israel were just being self-sufficient. And so God had just kind of stepped away, and he's given us free will. So he said, okay, I'm going to let y'all act like monkeys, and then we'll see how that's working out for you. So judges were ruling. They were no longer having fellowship in God because they were getting with God because they were getting so caught up in the culture. So it says that in the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Everyone say, dun, dun, dun. Bethlehem means house of bread. It was the land for God's people. They were experiencing a famine because in the Old Testament, famine represents either God's rebuke or him trying to get your attention. So there is famine in the land and instead of waiting on God, this gentleman gets his wife and his two sons, and he's going to Moab. The problem with Moab is they are idol worshipers, and they are at enmity with the children of Israel, and they shouldn't be mixing with them. Now, the whole background of how the Moabites came about, oh, my goodness. We might have to teach that women's Bible study. It is some stuff. I'm telling you, this is a little side note, when you don't obey God, you can affect yourself and your generation's generation. The Moabite should have never been around. So here we see not just a man is trying to be resourceful for his family. What he is doing is chosen not to wait on God. 
disloyalty. He's like, have you ever been in that situation? You might, I have been in a situation where it's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Okay, well, maybe if I just put Levi back in school, I'm just hypothetically saying this, I put him back in school and then I can get a job and then, okay, what am I going to do? Okay, yeah, let me call. I'm going to go and spend six hours online and then try to get a job and then I'm doing, 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 doing. And not one time have I stopped to pray. That's what's happening right here. He's not stopped to pray. And then he's going into enemy territory. So he is going to be a refugee in a land, and they don't even like you. Nothing new under the sun. And the scripture says the man's name is, I had this name together. What's his name, Ray? Elimelech, yeah, Elimelech. Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his sons were Mahalan and Kilion. They were Ephraites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. They didn't seek the Lord. They were in the land of plenty. God was not punishing them. If you start going through some stuff in life, it doesn't mean that God is punishing you. Is he trying to get your attention or is it just flat out life happening? The situation with my mother-in-law, she was at church in worship. She raised seven kids, lived through a civil war, car accident, so many other things. This is not the will of God. Is God trying to get our attention? Absolutely not. Sickness and all this comes from the enemy and we're going to pray through. So we can't just always throw up our hands. And sometimes we suffer in the land because of someone else's disobedience. Watch the news. Sometimes it, it, there's a demand for us, a command to pray for those in authority, not talk about it, not get at a town hall meeting and cuss about it as believers, but to really the same time we took out for the Oma, we need to be taking out time like that for our government and our city officials and our president. The Bible says do this so it will be well with you and you'll live in peace. So some of the things that we experience in life that are negative have absolutely nothing to do with you personally. It's not the devil. It's not God. It's just because we have not risen to the occasion. We've not stopped to, to pray, not risen to the occasion to pray, and we've not stopped long enough to say, God, what are you saying? So it looks like he was doing a really great thing, but doing a good thing that's not a God thing can get us in a whole lot of trouble. So, what's his name? I practiced this. Elimelech, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left there with her two sons. Creek, come here with the umbrella. Go ahead and put it all the way up. For you all that believe that umbrella shan't, can't, shouldn't be open in a building, that superstition is not of God. We rebuke the devil. <laughs> Turn it this way. So this is you. Cree is you. Everyone say, hey, Cree. Happy birthday. Her birthday was Friday. You are 25, and she's single, and she's got skill, and she's got a job. See me, and I'll do a credit check. Don't see her. See me, and we'll work it out. And then you'll see Dominique. Dominique, I'll get them first, and I'll, if they can't even make it through me, then they won't see you, but she's available. So anyway, and she's cute. So anyway, this represents us. Cree represents us. 
on all of our lives, there is a covering God has provided. Universally, as believers, we have a covering. There are some things that are available to us. But personally, there is a covering that you're supposed to be under. So what happened with Naomi and her husband is they were in Bethlehem. That means they were under the covering, even though they were experiencing some unfavorable things. They're still in God's will. Watch this. Now walk away to the other side. No, don't take the umbrella. Because God, no, God is here. So now we've moved outside the covering. Did God do anything? No. The covering is available. We move outside the covering, and then he dies. And then what will we say? Oh, it is so worthless to go to church. God is so mean. I'm trying to serve God. If he had let this happen to me, I don't want to serve him. And we've walked out. Let me tell you, if you don't know anything else today, that Jesus is a gentleman. He is a gentle man. He is available to you. But if you want to be grown and you want to do your own thing, he going to stand back and say, let me know how that's working for you. And it won't be because he doesn't love us. It's because you've got a choice. He didn't want little robots. He would have made them. He want, do you want somebody to love you? If I tell some young man, I want you to be with Cree. Cree been our babysitter since she was 12. We love her. You have to love her. That's going to be like odd. He might be like, I don't like Cree. And Cree, do you want me to force somebody to love you? It's not going to work. Jesus does not want you. God does not want you to have to be forced because of the words of your pastor or because of a little Christian community to love him. He wants you to love him because he deserves it. He wants you to love him because you recognize he's been good to you. So if you don't want to love him and you want to walk away and go to Moab and you die, they don't have nothing to do with the Lord. Nothing. We're going to tell the truth and be grown in 2019. Okay, come on back and get under your covering. So when things happen, sometimes, not every situation, that's how, why we have to be in relationship with God. Because we need his wisdom to know what situation is from the enemy. What situation are you trying to get my attention? What situation is in the natural? We're not trying to get you to come to church to be another little Christian country club. You don't even have to come to church for that. We are supposed to gather together to get filled up, to hear from the, you, you all did corporately what Ray and I couldn't do today. We've already been praying. We've been crying. We're so emotionally tied to this thing. But you came and you were Aaron and her and you lifted up our hands. You made room for us not to just cry and pray, but to worship him. Because I've been crying and praying. I got it down. Gold medal. But because I don't sing well, worship doesn't come naturally. I mean, we've been listening to some radio songs. I've been calling out to Omar's name. But what you did is you allowed space and opportunity. When I'm not driving, when I'm not with the kids, when I'm not checking on the teams, you, the church, our church, allowed room for me to just really lay it at his feet. That's why we come together, not for Ray and I, because there will be other situations when we will make room for you. But we need each other. So here they walk from under the covering, and he dies. Thank you. You can put it down. Have a seat. Don't try to get a number. you got to come see me first. 
What began as a temporary journey to escape hardship became a decade of disobedience in which a family abandoned the land God gave them and they settled into a new way of life. Disloyalty. And it can happen at an instant. An instant that something life will come and you will abandon what God has already spoken. You will abandon. Sometimes life will get so thick, you will abandon what you already believe. If you don't stop, take a break and say, God, where are you in this? Here's another honest ask. What has been my temporary fix to escape difficulty, but now has become my new way of living? What temporary fixes do we have that we just, well, I just, you know, right now, I just, I just need this right now. And it could be anything from shopping to smoking, watching stuff on the internet we don't have any business doing. It could just be watching YouTube videos and you need to be praying or doing something else. What is a temporary fix that we've chosen that's now become a new way of life that is causing our life and our spiritual beings to be absent from the presence and the promise of God? Got to have honest ask. Ecclesiastes 12.1. It says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. And the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. God is saying in Ecclesiastes, remember God now, preferably in the days of your youth. We don't have youth service just to get together and just to put them in another room to have donuts. We are trying to get them and calling them to remember God now. What this means in Ecclesiastes says, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, those years approaching, which means that if we don't commit to God right now, what we run the risk of is aging bitterly. Because as we age and we've not committed to God, and even while I'm speaking now, people still on their phones. They just want to sleep. They're not paying attention. But you know what? The Lord will be our help. If you don't remember God now, you look back over your life and you'll regret and you'll say, oh, so many wasted years. It's never too late. It's never too late. God will come, but you will be in such a pickle about what you didn't do. Because once you get that first taste of God and how he's so good and he's been so faithful and he's kept you, what the enemy will do is cause you to look back and be like, oh, I wasted my whole life. Why didn't I get to God while I was young? That's what it's all about. Not just going to church, but knowing him, being loyal to him. So when you look back over your life, you can say, I've seen some trouble. I've seen some hard days, but God has been with me through it all. Through it all. Not just for right now, in the time. We got to wake up and shake off this slumber and the freedom that is causing us to be a hindrance to our own self. God has not put these things in place so that we just worship him. He's put it in place so that you can live in peace, that you can live in assurance. We're crying about the Oma, but if we don't get what we want, it's going to be a celebration. I mean, we will dance. They will hear us all the way in Liberia if it doesn't happen the way we want it. The Oma is in a win-win situation. But for us. For us. And she knows God so much, I want her to be able to say, I'm ready to go. She was dressing cute on Sunday morning. 
she wasn't ready to go. But if it don't work out the way we want to, because she has chosen to put God first and she worshiped him in her daughter-in-law's bedroom at the foot of a rocking chair when nobody could see her. Oh, great will be her reward. And when she wakes up, she can look back over her life and declare with all certainty, the Lord has been good. That's what God is trying to call us to. Not just the, the robotics, but in our squad goals. The number one person need to be on our squad is God. Why? Not because he's all-knowing and he wants us just to do all this stuff, but so it'll be well and peaceful for us. Our inexperience in life and even our inexperience in dealing with difficult situations can easily cause us to build misconceptions about life, which leads to us having misconceptions about the character of God. As a result, we tend to put off getting serious about God. Putting off giving our lives totally to him can lead us into aging bitterly, full of regret, and we risk lamenting over so much wasted time. For time's sake, I'm going to just go ahead on and kind of skip through some things. So we're at Ruth, um, still chapter 1. We're going to skim through verses 6 through 22. I encourage you to read it on your own. It says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people. So now she's in Moab because her sons have taken her there. The sons married Moabite women. I don't know where I am. I'm all over the place. Married Moabite women, not going back to Jerusalem. I mean, to Bethlehem where they should have gone. They married Oprah, Oprah, Orpah. And, Na uh, and Ruth. Skip down to verse 8. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-laws, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. So what has happened is Naomi has heard back in Bethlehem the Lord is blessing them. He did get the people's attention. And they're crying out to the Lord. And so it's a famine in all the land. There was only a 55-mile difference between Moab and Bethlehem. So she heard that the Lord is being good. So now she wants to go back. You know, when it come, the breakthrough comes, and then we want to come back to church then. You're welcome, but you know. Come on back, but you know. So she wants to go back. But she knows that they're going to be destitute because they're, the death of the husband and the sons means the death of provision and protection. And so she's telling the girls, just go back. They're on the road going back to Bethlehem. And Naomi is thinking about this thing, thinking about this thing. She's got a misconception. Oh, the Lord is handling me bitterly. How about this, girls? Just go back to your mother's house because there's nothing I can do for you. She goes on to say, even if I get a husband today, get pregnant today and have sons, are you going to wait around for them? So you guys just go back to your mother's house. The problem with Moab is they didn't know the one true living God. It was idol worship, paganism. It says in verse 8, then Naomi said to her daughters-in-laws, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you and your people. Everyone say loyalty. But Naomi now insisted, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? And that's the whole spiel about the sons and all this kind of stuff. She said, no, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Everyone say misconception. 
She thinks the Lord's hand has turned against her because they walk from out from under the umbrella. So now she thinks the Lord is handling her the wrong kind of way. She's not being irreverent to him. She says, at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Everyone say loyalty. Orpah did not do a bad thing. She did what she was told. And we never, ever hear about her again. Ever. Never again in the scripture. Because she went back. She wasn't a bad person. The thing about her being from Moab, where it was a godless country, is that there was nothing to hold her. There was no commitment of character for her. She didn't have loyalty. She wasn't bad. She didn't know God. She's like, okay, well, we already said we'll stay. And then she said, go. So, all right, I love y'all. Bye. She had already gone this far with her mother, so there was a form of loyalty with her mother-in-law. She had already come this far. But because her anchor was not in the one true living God, there wasn't any character commitment. So it was easy for her to go back. So Naomi, I'm at verse 22, returned from Moab, went back to Bethlehem, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Number one, your squad can start off small, just one good person at a time. And remember, the first one must be you. Be before you expect. Jesus had the 12 out of Mark 3. You can read that. But when he went to pray at the Mount of Transfiguration, he only took three. He didn't turn his back on the rest. So your squad, you can have a big squad, but then you got your road dogs. Everybody can't be a road dog. I mean, like when they say, I'm down with you, like four flat tires. If it's past the fold, then a semi-truck, that's like not a whole lot of intimacy when you got 18 wheels. It could have a good time. So Jesus started out with the 12, then he had the three. When he was on the cross, according to John 19, there was only one. Only one. The disciples were not bad. They, God picked him, them. Jesus picked them. Expect a little bit of trouble with your squad because they're human. And so are you. Judas had already betrayed him. He's at the cross. You know who was at the cross when Jesus was at the cross? His mama, a couple of Marys. The women were looking afar off. All the disciples were in hiding except for John the beloved. Have not an expectation like Taylor Swift and you got millions of people. That's a marketing ploy. That is not her squad. Because when she's on the floor embarrassed because somebody talked crazy to her at the Grammys, all them gabillions of people not on her living room floor. I can guarantee it's only one, two, or three. As you're being and cultivating a squad, sometimes it has to be just one. What the scripture says in John 19, it says in John 19, 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophis, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple, everyone say singular. How many disciples were they? Twelve. How many is at the cross? How many disciples were there? 
How many is at the cross? And one was dead. Judas had hung himself by now for betraying Jesus. Eleven disciples. I'll be with you always. Were they bad people? Mm-mm. Guess who they were loyal to? Themselves in that moment. Fear can, I, 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 the older I get, the more I understand why God doesn't want us to be in fear. Fear will cause us to be who we're not even. Because fear or just, I mean, fear can just grip you in some kind of way. It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Everyone say squad goals. I'm going to start wrapping up here. The name Ruth means companion or friend. Ruth's personal squad goal was to be loyal, not to expect or demand loyalty. Ruth decided to follow a God she did not yet know into an uncertain future among potentially hostile strangers. Had her mother-in-law, even through her grief, been like my mother-in-law and been an example of godliness? Had her mother-in-law been such a woman that she said, I want to get to know a little bit about this God you serve. Had she been so curious that her personal character of loyalty just made her cling to that God just a little bit more? Because of her loyal character, God was directing her to the right place at the right time. Be loyal to the right people, number two, for the right reason. It's a quote from a great theologian, Pinterest. (laughs) There is something wrong with your character if opportunity controls your loyalty. There is something wrong if opportunity, what you can get out of it, controls your loyalty. The name Ruth meant companion and friend. The name Orpah means neck or fawn. And I found it so funny. They said that some theologians teased and said she turned her neck and ran. When I I just Googled, what does the name Orpah mean? And it says fawn. I was like, that girl turned and she just skipped on out. (laughs) She like, it was good. Was it a bad thing? Absolutely not. Was it a God thing? Absolutely not. God had more for her. God has more for us if we trust him. Orpah came from a land of idol worshipers. She did not know or worship the one true living God. Therefore, she had no character commitment to anything other than her own comfort. Everyone say self-preservation. There has to be a common core of beliefs or set of values to achieve lasting, meaningful skull guads. Squad goals, squad goals, squad goals. Help me, Jesus. And honest, thank you. I need it. I'm falling in some big shoes today, and I'm sweating up under this jacket, but I'm trying to hold it down for my honey and for Jesus. And honest, ask what basis, foundation, core set of beliefs qualifies a person to be in your squad. If you're going to be loyal, if you're going to be faithful, if you're going to be godly, then why they get to be heathens? Now, you got to love the heathens. So I'm going to leave right there, and I just, as you are, I'm going to put up some pictures. I had the awesome opportunity 
and you can put those pictures up. I was invited to a college signing um, on Friday night. So our DJ, I met DJ when he was nine years old. He was coming to Children's Church at a church where I was. With He had grass stains in his little pads, and he came and sat on the second row, nine years old. There he is. You see Chandra. You all stand up. Give him a hand. Chandra and Scotty and DJ. And so that was his signing. You see all the colleges that were after him. And so he decided to be, become a Spartan at San Jose State in California. So they were headhunting him for football. But let's go to this. Look at the squad. Look at his squad. When he spoke, he said, some of y'all been with me since I was in kindergarten. Look, at it, it's boys, girls, different nationalities. Go to the other picture. There's, we, there we are. Next picture. There's his squad that came to the house to celebrate him. Now, that's not his football team. That's not everybody in class. That's his squad. One of those boys in that picture, I've been knowing him since he was five years old. One of those boys got an injury. So you all can have a seat. Every school is not calling him right now. His heart is broken. But he showed up. He showed up to celebrate right in the place where he has pain. I was so heartbroken. I called Stefan. I was like, Stefan, because he was at the signing. I said, like, I'm going to need you to mentor this young man because I don't want his heart to be broken. And then that was an emotional response. I had not prayed about it. I've been knowing him since he was five. So what I did is I just sent a resource. They don't come to city church, and so they probably have their pastors. So even out of my emotion, God gave me something. But when I called Stephan, I wasn't seeking the Lord. I was just like, oh, I want to do something for him. I don't want to feel bad. But that's a true squad member. When you can show up for somebody else and watch them get the very thing that you've worked hard for, that you want yourself, but you can show up with a smile on your face yeah. and celebrate them. So let's just be loyal. Let's think about who we want to be loyal to. Why are we being loyal? And let's just do this thing for God. Amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Wasn't that a phenomenal word? Fantastic. Fantastic. Hey, City Church, we're going to let you guys go. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at citychurchtv.com. If you are encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text citychurchtv and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.